Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Amy. We both grew up with dads who drank too much. So we are both adult children of alcoholics. And we're here to talk about our experiences using honesty and some pretty dark humour. We'll be chatting to a variety of people affected by alcohol addiction. Our dads were both called Steve and they're both dead now, which means we can finally have the conversations we've wanted to. You had to go there already, didn't you? (laughs) We've had a lot of experiences between us and we are both really passionate about helping other people. So sit back, relax and join us with Sarah and Amy, Children of Alcoholics podcast. And we're back. And we have got Harriet with us, Harriet Strange, who is on Instagram as Fifty Shades of Sober. Hello. I love Hello. that name, by the way. <laughs> when I first saw your handle, Fifty Shades Sober, I was like, oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> that is brilliant, isn't it? <laughs> Pretty inspired. Do you reckon Fifty Shades COA works? <laughs> yeah. Give it a try. I mean, you know, I'm, anything works. <laughs> I don't want to brag you two, but I'm kind of a big deal on Instagram these days. I've got 90 followers. <laughs> That's good, though. I know. Go me. You do you, boo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Right. I love that. <laughs> Children. So Harriet is here with us and Harriet um, identifies as a superstar. And also as a COA. And she's had her own relationship with alcohol, which I think we're probably going to touch on a little bit today. So do you want to start by just giving us a potted COA history? Okay. Um, It's strange because every time I get asked that question, it's like I never know where to start, even though I've spoken about it a lot now. Um, But it's only been the recent sort of years that I realised being a child of an al- an adult child of an alcoholic is even a thing. Because I know that children get affected and I knew that when I was a child, the things that were happening would affect me. I didn't know that that's what it was all about. I didn't, it was very confusing, but I did know at the time, I think this might give me some trauma, um, but hey, it makes us funny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Amy's all about the funny (laughs) COA is my superpower Um, I didn't know COA was a thing I didn't even know COA was a thing until after my dad had died Yeah, I thought people were just sent to therapy because that's what happened when I was an early teen I just got sent there and I thought that's how people deal with stuff like that you know but um yeah, it's interesting hearing other people's stories and feeling like you're definitely not alone, but I do see there are obviously unique differences in each person's story and experiences. So even though some of the particular things that may have happened might be different, the overall emotion can be very similar and sort of yeah, it sort of brings us all together now and helps us to heal a bit oh, more, I think. Definitely. I really thought that. I mean, I don't want to brag, but all three of us were in the Houses of Parliament. <laughs> <laughs> That's the second time. <laughs> Every single podcast episode we're going to launch, it's going to be Amy and Sarah in the Houses of Parliament. Anyway. I'm a little bit more humble. <laughs> yeah, whatever. She just gritted her teeth at me for those that can't see this. <laughs> 
That's the anger. That's suppressed anger coming out in her. (laughs) (laughs) But when we were all together, there is something so powerful, isn't there, about a collective? It literally gives me goosebumps. And exactly what you've said. Everybody comes with their own experience and their own parent and their own way of dealing with it. But there's just that common understanding and there are a lot of shared experiences. And I know Sarah and I, the first time we met face-to-face, the conversation just flows. And there's so much you do have to say to each other to compare notes and to go, oh, okay, that happened to you. But also so much that you never have to speak about. Mm-hmm. But you just know. Yeah. And I think, um, so obviously we've spoken before um, covering loads of different things. And it's always that moment when you're like, me too. Mm. I thought that was just, because it's hard to differentiate when you're when you're realising stuff. And now as an adult, I look back and I'm like, oh, that's what that was. But so, when I was a child, I thought I was confused between what my dad's personality really was and, and what was okay and what wasn't okay. Um, but then when you hear the similarities in other people's stories, you're like, oh, yeah, that's that's the same. <laughs> it gets me, I don't know about you two, but when I speak to other COAs and like when we've spoken, you almost like want to interrupt each other. You're like, oh, 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 yeah, that, that was That might be too. the ADHD, Sarah. <laughs> I do, yeah. Do no, it's true. A, like even doing do this, it, yeah. I want to be writing notes to kind of go back to stuff, to go, yeah. oh, and then did... You know, and yeah, it just there's always more. It makes it feel normal. Well, not that it's a normal situation, like, but it makes you feel. It makes you feel like you weren't going mad when you speak to other people, and you kind of think, "Oh, okay, yeah, yeah." That that was. It's just all part of. It's part of alcohol addiction. Um. So, Harriet, what was your relationship like with your dad growing up? Um. I would like to say that it was amazing um, and I think that I might romanticise some things now. Um, I loved him like nothing on this earth and for me he was such a colourful, hilarious character. You know, if if he walked into a room, everyone would look at him. He would be, and he liked it, he liked to be the centre of attention and he knew it as well. He was very handsome, very charming. Um, could literally sell ice to an Eskimo. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and that's the thing. Even when he went to doctors, he actually suffered with mental health. So my story crosses with alcohol um, addiction and mental health issues. Um, and again, that was confusing because it's like, well, which one's making the other one worse? Like what started first? Blah, blah, blah. And uh, like I say, as an adult, I can now reflect on my dad's own journey. I can totally separate from that and be like, right, I understand that. But also I have feelings too. And that's how. The, yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, um, I loved him to pieces. And I think my mum and dad, they separated when I was about nine. And I've got two other sisters um, and we got to choose who we could live with and I chose my dad and I never ever ever left and my other sisters kind of I think they I can't really speak for them but I think they'd had enough of certain situations and they they went to my mum um, but there was I just I could never ever leave him and it, there would be different patches where he would be amazing and he was the best parent ever and he cared for us you know cooked and he was like Keith Floyd 
So if, <laughs> if oh, he was like yeah. Keith Floyd cooking, he was so passionate about food. But of course, wine in the food, wine in his gullet, you know, and he, he sometimes we'd play about and we'd act like pirates. And he used to do a wicked Johnny Depp impression. And um, that stays with me forever, like that kind of stuff. He was really, really fun. But it saddens me because he was actually also very sad and things that happened, traumatic things have happened in his own life that I can see now why he would have turned to alcohol. And I actually found some of his notes. Um, I can't remember when I found them. It's blank. Um, but it was some scribbles about him hearing voices and that he, he drank to tr- try and drown them out. Um, and so I can tell now, I can see and empathise so sometimes I think actually maybe that that understanding has allowed me to be less angry. Yeah. Oh, completely. Yeah. I almost everything you've said. My dad was so much fun. Yeah. He used to do this thing where <laughs> used to when we were little and we'd be in the shops at the weekend, my brother and I, and he'd just turn around and he'd go, Why are you two following me? I've told you, I don't know who you are. They're <laughs> 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 no, probably looking. And on it, he just used to do these really mad things that were just so much fun. Yeah. But absolutely, again, we found kind of notes and little pieces, scraps of paper everywhere in my dad's flat about how much he was drinking, things he needed to do to give up, lists of exercises that would kind of counteract what he was doing to himself by his alcohol consumption. And it's just really, really sad because you get those little insights. You know, my dad had died by the time we found those. And it just makes me really sad because it's someone who was so desperate to be different or to change their outcome, but just couldn't get to that point. Kind of my dad never really engaged with help in a formal way. And those little bits, those little scraps of paper and those little memories, they're so nice. And they do stop you being angry, but they're also really, really sad, aren't they? Yeah. I had that with my dad. My dad used to write little notes. um, But they were really... Stuff like, I want to be a better man. or um, And it would kind of give an insight into what he was thinking and where his head was at. And he'd only ever do it when he was drunk or when he'd been drinking um so yeah I think I don't know I wonder why they did that it's interesting to try to figure out who my dad really was as an adult now he died on my 16th birthday and I was so angry like why did you leave me here with these people I didn't like anybody else (laughs) And it was always kind of like me and him against the world. And we like we were best mates. He used to tell me like I was really fun to live with because I'm just as mad and s- spontaneous as he was. Um, and his death was slightly confusing in that there were other things involved and it really shone a light on the fact that he needed help. Mm. He needed help. And now, unfortunately... I haven't actually said this like to anyone, but I actually hold anger towards other people that were around me at the time, that are around me now. I hold anger towards them because I think I'm not sure that 
people behaved on his side. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. yeah totally. I'm being careful with the way I say it because, you know, I'm I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. But no, we we had that conversation the other week with yeah, um, we Johnny Lawrence about anger. Oh my god, I love him. I know. Amazing, Every, isn't everyone he? loves him. But actually, I was saying that in a way, I don't let myself get terribly angry because I'm worried that if I let the lid off that anger, I'm going to say things that I, if I'm honest, other people wouldn't deserve and they're equally as, you know, they had their own relationship with my dad and things, but I don't want to say things which whilst I am angry about, I guess I don't necessarily believe to be true I do, I'm quite scared of getting angry I think is mm-hmm. where is the best way to describe it because I'm not really sure where that will take me and all the time I keep a lid on being angry it's a bit you know it's again it's classic COA behavior isn't it in that you're just keeping the status quo you want mm-hmm. everything to be as steady as possible yeah. it's only recently that I've actually had the ability to really step into my I want to say true self. It sounds really cliche, <laughs> but before I'm I'm a massive people pleaser, which again is a massive co thing. Mm. And even down to something I noticed recently with my husband. So he still drinks, I'm sober, it works for us. Mm-hmm. Some people may disagree, but anyway. And even him, like I will I want to, to make sure he's happy. And if he's not, I feel really uncomfortable. And it's almost like it's my problem. It's my problem to fix. Oh my fix. god, I relate so much to that. So I looked at him even yesterday, and he'd had a hard day at work, but he wasn't looking at me. He was looking at his phone, and I just glanced at him, and I could tell by the way he was blinking <laughs> how he felt, how irritated he was, how exhausted he was. And I was like, "Do you, do you want me to um, do you want some nice dinner, or do you want to go and play your PlayStation?" And he was like, "What? What is all this luxury about?" And I was like, <laughs> "Well, I can tell that you don't feel great." <laughs> and he was like, "How do you know?" And I'm like, "I just know. I know the energy, and I think it's because of being hyper vigilant mm. as yeah. a youngster. Um, I mean, you, you never know what your your parents to, are going to do next. You are yeah. talking to the woman that set her alarm last week for five thirty a.m." And drove to a petrol station for its opening at 6am in her pyjamas and a puffer coat because apparently they were going to get a delivery of Prime to drink <laughs> overnight. <laughs> Not affiliated with the brand. Not affiliated. Anyway. But if we, if we are, can you send me some? Uh, <laughs> so this is ridiculous. And I can see it's ridiculous. And like you, that's not your fault. Your husband's had a bad day. But equally, me getting up at 5.30 to drive to a bloody petrol station to get Prime for a 10-year-old because I wanted him to be happy. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, I got there it's, so just before six. And it's like, I'm enabling a 10-year-old. And I'm, it, that's a behaviour that's so ingrained. And that hyper-vigilance about, well, actually, if I get home with the Prime, he's going to be so happy. And if I don't, I'm going to have to really think about how I deliver that information. It's ridiculous. Mm. It's, do you know what? I here I'm literally sitting here like thinking oh my god absolutely so relate to that one of the most common arguments that me and my husband ever have it's like the only one we ever have is are you in a mood are you in a mood (laughs) 
and it could be he could be hungry or tired and he's a shift worker so I should know better what I should be doing when he's come back from a night shift is just leaving him alone yeah mm. letting him I'm like do what are you thinking thing. he's like uh can and you I'm just like, not yeah I'm like you in a mood what's the matter have I done anything are you okay do you get defensive as well? Yeah, so I like do. when so he's defensive. like, no, nothing, or he'll act a certain way, and I'll just be like, I just immediately think it's my fault, so I start defending myself. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, I was really busy, with this, and it's actually, I'm like, right, I'm realizing now, I've got the ability to step back and go, this isn't you, this isn't you, this isn't your fault. You, it's not your responsibility to fix. Just give him a minute, let him have a bath or something, and it'll be fine. Yeah. But yeah, it's um. It's interesting to see that kind of blurring into my adult life now, um, and to realise that actually that's what I did as a as a, as a kid with my dad. Yeah. I didn't maybe I didn't for a long time didn't really want to admit maybe that that's what happened. And I think I've realised that actually, yeah, I did, and I did look after him even when I, I he was out of his head, you know, and it would be him driving drunk, and I knew he was drunk. Mm-hmm. But I still got in the car because what dad said when I trusted yeah. him with my life, though, really weird. Like I trusted him with my life. And that's, I think, again, another level of like I thought I trust him even when he was not well. I thought I I trust in him to know how to get out of this. I trust that he knows what to do and he will get himself mm-hmm. better. And uh, as if I would ever step in and be like, Dad, you're drinking too much. That's never, we never had a conversation with alcohol. The first time we spoke about drinking, I think I had my first ever boyfriend <laughs> at like age 14. And then I broke up with said boyfriend. And um, I come in the house, he's like, What's up with you? I was like, oh, So and so is gone. And he was like, Here's a bottle of cider. I was like, Thanks, Dad. And just sat down on the sofa with him and just drank in silence together. And it was really weird. Um, that's just how he dealt with it. Like, I don't think he dealt very well with me becoming a teenager anyway. And at the time, like, I'm type 1 diabetic as well. Um, and with all the different crazy feelings and crazy weird stuff that happened, because Dad eventually was diagnosed with bipolar and schizophrenia. So he would see things, he would hear things, he would act very strange. You know, every full moon, he would act like a wolf. And I would be there kind of <laughs> like, I don't know, I guess sometimes I would humour it and other times I would just take myself away or he would just take himself away. Um, and he, there were times where he thought he was an awful p- person and I would have to quite comfort him. Or if he, ima- if he thought he was hearing something and I'd, I'd go, no, I can hear it too, even though I couldn't. So, and during that time was when it really increased with him not being able to hide his drinking. And he'd say, don't go in my room. Of course I'm going in his room. <laughs> I'm a teenage yeah, girl. Yeah. <laughs> was in there. Um, no, and it was just obviously bottles everywhere, but I just shut the door and didn't say anything. But my reaction to that as a teenager was to run away. I, I would go out with my mates or just try and make him laugh or... I then started to kind of self, it like internalize stuff. So I think that I was very, well, I, no, I was very self harm. It was, what's wrong with me? Why do I feel like this? Like some days I just feel like crying. And I remember him being like, don't, what, what, what are you crying for? Don't cry. Like, or I'd sing sad songs because I like to sing. He'd be like, why are you singing sad songs? Sing happy songs. 
but looking back now I can I can see that I was struggling with processing everything that was going on around me as well as the other like personal stuff like my diabetes and just being a teenager in general um but yeah I was I, perhaps I was actually struggling and that was kind of like a subconscious release of my pent-up emotions mm-hmm. and I, I thought it was what is wrong with me I thought it was something wrong with me um but now I can see that actually maybe that was quite a normal reaction to quite a strange circumstance. Yes, absolutely. It was a valid response. I think we've all come from a generation where talking about our emotions, admitting any kind of vulnerability or being vulnerable is perceived as a weakness. Um, and it makes a lot of people feel uncomfortable. So when you said earlier on, I feel like we, we need to kind of touch on that again, where you feel like you get angry with um like some of the people around you I feel like that I feel like a lot of those adults that were around us didn't feel comfortable with listening to what we were going through it made them feel uncomfortable so it was always brushed under the carpet and it was always oh don't worry it'll be fine don't worry it'll be fine and now as an adult I'm like do you know what not everything is always fine and that's okay (laughs) it doesn't always have to be fine but then that's my point about whilst I might feel angry with them I also don't blame them for that being the way because it's absolutely a generational thing and there wasn't help available I mean when I was that's younger, what makes me sad. Where was I going to go? There wasn't even the internet. I mean, I'm so old. There wasn't even the internet. <laughs> You're not that old. <laughs> You're not that old. We weren't we given the toolbox. You say that. I remember sending my first email. I'm thinking, well, this will never catch on. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have the dial-up tone? Yes. <laughs> I remember So that. the point is, it's nobody's fault that... I wasn't able to get the help I needed. One, because I didn't know I needed help, and we've talked about that a lot. I didn't know COA was a thing. I always thought help looked like my dad getting better. I didn't know that help actually would be enabling me as a child to come up with strategies and to understand, you know, I didn't cause it, I can't control it, I can't cure it. I didn't know that was it. I thought the help was me getting my dad better. Mm. That's what I thought help looked like. Exactly. But also I didn't know where to go for help. And that's evidenced by the fact I didn't even know about NACOA until after my dad died. I didn't know COA was a thing. I didn't really, looking back, I didn't really want help. I didn't want help because I didn't want to magnify the situation at home. And I remember I was hosp- I was hospitalised quite a few times. I have been through my life, unfortunately. Um, and I know that was hard on my parents and my family. And that's another reason why I thought it was my fault. And I didn't want to bring attention to make, you know, I was, there was a point where I was classed as a child in need and I didn't want them looking at my dad or my anybody else around me as they were I didn't want to be taken away from them because there was a time where the, I was admitted to a hospital and I was in a bad way and they wouldn't let my dad in the room and I remember looking at him and then the nurses were like sort of fighting with him and it broke my heart and I didn't want that to happen I wanted to be with him no matter what 
And I remember he saw me, he spoke to me, and I had to see him with like other people. And I don't know, I never, I, that's another story I feel, but I didn't understand that. They felt like he was a danger to me. He's not a danger to me, he's a danger to his bloody self. Mm. And I don't know where the lines got crossed, but, and they would ask me questions and to be interrogated at that, that age about whether my dad was violent or abusive to me, that was like, what the hell? I, I, I remember sitting there being like, why, what is going on? But again, I think that because my path is crossed with alcohol and mental health, that's where it, you know, that's mm. probably why. But um, I remember him saying to me, like, just just tell him you're fine. Just tell him you're better and then you can come home and you can come home to me. And he, he hugged me so tight. He had his glasses on because he always, whenever he looked a bit effed up, he'd always wear glasses. But he looked dashing. So <laughs> nobody really cared. He just looked like George Clooney <laughs> coming in like a star. But he was really actually off his face. That constant need to want to protect them. Yeah. Have so much love for them. And I know it's different for a lot of people. And, and, and this is why we do this podcast, because we want to validate every single emotion. And I've spoken to um, loved ones of alcoholics where they feel no compassion, no empathy, and they really struggle with that. Um, and the, the love for them just is more resentment and bitterness. But I think I always say people when you love that person so deeply there's another challenge that comes with that because you know that they made mistakes mm. and you want to protect them and you're always justifying oh, but they're only like this because of that and and you're always I was always on the defense with my dad even though it was never openly spoken about that he was an alcoholic I knew people fought differently and I knew that there was this like undertone of I, I used to think that oh maybe they don't like my dad or or maybe they think this of him so I was always justifying and defending his why um why he was the way he was mm-hmm. um it was never said we never said alcoholic but I was always um like justifying why why he'd sit and wait in the car or why he'd walk out halfway through a family event without saying goodbye, um, I'd justify it and I'd defend it mm. because I just loved him so much <coughs> and I wanted to protect him. That's it, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I think my strategy has always been, I've sort of always thought of my dad as two different people. Mm. So I had my dad when I was younger before he became really unwell. And, I mean, he was drinking at that point, but he was fun and he kind of knew details about my life and we had a really lovely relationship and then probably for the last 20 years of his life he was a my dad in name but he wasn't a parental figure and I really struggled with a lot of his behavior and his his personality really changed um so I sort of see them as two different people but the same thing, I was. it was okay for me to have quite negative thoughts and to say quite unkind things about my dad and his behaviour and his addiction. But I couldn't tolerate anybody else being unkind about him or to him or not making attempts to understand what it was like for him even though I was quite happy to sometimes do that you know I really did see it as a choice and he could give up but if anybody else had said that 
I'd have been absolutely furious. And I think the one thing I am still, the one thing I do hold anger about is how everyone just drops off the radar. Yeah. There was nobody by the end. Yeah. You know, all of those friends from the past and, you know, kind of extended family and things, they didn't even... In another That's way, That's really hard. It's it's hard, but and in another way, when you're, you know, like us, um, and we we evaluate everything and overthink everything. Over dramatic. <laughs> Do you know what? My husband calls me dramatic, and I'm like, uh, it's a thing. Maybe I am. No, I go. I'm just passionate. <laughs> That's a great way of looking. Or I'm at it. passionate. No, um, but yeah, I think it's hard as well. Looking on the flip side of things, like, um. I can also understand that for other people that might have been really hard. So as much as I do have some strong feelings about certain people um, that I don't feel may have showed up for him the way he needed, they also probably didn't know what the hell to do at the time. No, but or they just didn't did know any better of how to handle the situation. Yeah. But at the same time, it's value. It's it's you're you're allowed to feel upset by that because yeah. As a child as well, I remember being like, who's, do, who's, who, who's got the control here? Yeah. Who's got the remote control? Because I mean, all three of us had dads on their own and all three of us kind of picked up a lot of the responsibilities around yeah. that. But who was checking in on us? Mm-hmm. At what point did we become qualified to deal with that situation? Yeah, you're right. I remember sitting in the funeral home with my brother and I was genuinely waiting for some a grown-up to come in and tell us what to do. I mean, I was 42, but I still didn't feel like a grown-up. So at what point did it fall to us to take all this on? Do you feel like a grown-up now? No, never. I mean, <laughs> I look like one, increasingly. <laughs> when you look around the room, where's the grown-up? Oh, wait, it's oh, me. It's me. Oh, it's me. Oh, oh, it's me. Oh, oh, does your kid come up to you like, oh, Mum, I'd find another grown-up. Oh, wait. <laughs> I am the grown-up. I always felt like I've been the grown-up. Grown I always felt like I was old before my time. Oh, my God, me too. I People was used to say, sensible. Um, what do they say? Old soul. Yeah. Oh, you're such an old soul. I never really knew what that meant. And now I'm like... Yeah. I get it. I, I guess back. because you don't get so embroiled in the drama. When you've got big things going on at home and you've got those responsibilities, you always have a sense of really what is important. And, I, yeah. you, you know, that kind of don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah, and there'd be things that my friends would talk about and I just, I, I couldn't get into it. I just thought, that's not, it doesn't interest me, it's not important. And I remember not really feeling a vibe with anybody in particular. I like to be friends with everybody and I kind of went round and just made jokes and a laugh. But I never had that real connection with anyone through school, I don't feel like. I always felt like I was um, pretending to be somebody else. Yeah. And I always felt like my identity was never my own or I was never authentic to myself. Do you Um, feel like that now? Um, no, I don't. I would say only up until recently, I think turning 30 for me and like now being in my 30s, I'm not 30 anymore, but when I did turn 30, that was my, that was, 
when I would say I really kind of delved into myself and became true to myself. Became Beyonce. I did. I did. I used to hang out with adults quite a lot. So did I. Yeah, Mm. I never had, I was always with groups of friends that were so much older than me. Yeah. I um, I had a really good friend at school and she was lovely and we'd lost touch and actually in the last year or so I literally bumped into her and we've reconnected which has been lovely and I spent such a lot of time at her house and with her family and they would take me on days out and I would stay there overnight but more often than not I'd kind of be hanging out in the kitchen quite a lot with her parents <laughs> yeah <laughs> <Literally>. and, <laughs> yeah and I've seen her parents since and it I was so tearful when I kind of face to face saw them again and it's like oh I just loved being in your house because to me it was it was a nice house and they had a cat and a dog and there was a mum and a dad and it was yeah Yeah. and my home was lovely like my mum and my brother like I had a lovely home as well but there was just something where I just loved being in that house because it was all very uncomplicated, as mm. was my actual home with my mum and my brother. But I think because I always had the other thing going on, to just go somewhere and go, there's going to be absolutely no drama this weekend. And I'm w- literally what they say is what's going to happen. Isn't it amazing though how <laughs> there's some people... It's mind-blowing. It's when someone not- says they're going to do something, they do it. Yeah. Are you joking? That's how this works. But, but there's some people that have been a part of your lives... There's people that have been a part of my lives in the past that don't realise that they were a safe space for me at, at times. No, well, I actually sent a, I sent my friend a message and I said I was so pleased to see your mum and dad. And actually, what I hadn't realised until I saw them today is how much they meant to me. And I think, you know, I haven't seen you for a long time, but this is kind of how my this is how my story played out. And you're looking but at it now. With now I understand eyes. it. Yeah. Yeah, it's looking at it with different eyes. That's what I mean, like looking back over um, the situations that happened when we were younger or with our our dads, you can kind of see it with different eyes. But then I'm like, but don't look at it like as if it's justifying it. You've got to remember that you you feel the way you feel and it's valid too. Yeah. But yeah. I had that though with my <laughs> with my first boyfriend at school. I was only 16 and... His home was like my a sanctuary at, at times. I just wanted to get away from my dad. When my dad, because when I was a teenager, is when I would say my dad's drinking was probably at its worst, and it wasn't nice to be around. Mm. And I don't think like him and like, he lived with his mum. I don't think they realised what I was going through. So for me to get away and be within their home was almost like a way for me to get away from my dad's behaviour and just feel comfortable and feel like, oh, I can relax. Mm. And I feel awful saying that. But how can they have known? Because even if you'd gone into that place and you'd said, my dad drinks too much or this is happening, I've never met a COA who ever fully admitted word for word what was going on or how they Mm. felt. And until you've actually been through it or somebody has told you in minute detail of every single incident, you're never going to understand it. Mm. So part of the thing I do working 
um, with the school to support their COAs is actually say to the teachers, <laughs> there's a child in your school who was up three times last week phoning an ambulance for their parent. That's why they didn't turn their homework in. Or you've got a child who can't walk home this way because their parent is often on a bench and they're so embarrassed that they don't want their friends to see. So that's why they're leaving school early or doing this, that or the other. And until you actually say that, just saying, oh, their parent drinks a bit, until you give specific examples, and you have to kind of go to the quite shocking places of things that they've seen. Yeah, it puts it in perspective. Absolutely. Mm. I remember falling asleep in my... A level English class once and I could not keep my eyes open because the night previous we'd had a massive argument with my dad who was really really drunk and was just in such a bad way and those arguments would happen a lot we'd come home from school he'd be really drunk we'd all start arguing it was always like us against him and I was sat in class and I was really struggling to keep my eyes open And I could see my teacher looking at me and I'm just sitting there like, oh my God, I cannot keep my eyes open. I'm so tired. So, so tired. Um, And, but nobody knew because you just put on this brave face and you just wanted to protect them. But also if you'd have said, oh, sorry, I'm falling asleep. Um, I didn't get much rest last night. My dad was drunk. I don't think even that would have, adequately described what it was like you know for a lot of people that would have meant that he was probably a bit loud and maybe put some music on quite loudly Mm. you know and actually it's all about the hyper vigilance and the making sure they're safe in bed and they're not going to fall down the stairs and the front door is locked and the gas burners turned off and the cigarettes all of these things it's not just a case of my parent drank too much last night there's a whole other thing going on I think it's Interesting hearing you talking about, you know, um, how you dealt with it during when you was at school and stuff. And it just made me, it just dawned on me like, well, it's not, you know. Um, For me, I would just get drunk myself. And obviously I had all these mates that were older and whatever. Somehow or another, I always managed to get hold of booze. And I did the same thing that my dad was doing. But without, I'd leave the house and I'd go off in somebody's car and it would all be like, you know, loud music, fast driving, not actually particularly safe. Um, And I didn't care. I felt really numb and I just wanted to numb out. And that was my way of escaping that, that feeling at home, I think, or having to deal with it or knowing how to deal with it. I actually just, like I said, I go internally and it would, and people would be finding me drunk all over the place. And it so was kind of like my known, 14. And it was like my known thing. Like people used to compare me to Amy Winehouse. <laughs> so this is what I find really interesting with your story. Because we all come at it. I mean, it's such a unique, it's unique for all of us. And we've all got different perspectives. But you bring a, a very unique perspective. You were the child of an alcoholic. Um, and... I mean, I hope I'm identifying you right, but you also identified as an alcoholic. Am I right in saying? Would you? Yeah, identify? I mean, I know that's it's a really, a really grey area, yeah. and I've I don't think I've actually said the sentence like that. I was an alcoholic. What I do know is that I have a very addictive personality, 
and it did get to the point where I was unable to even at school okay my sister recently she spoke to me about remembering a time that I'd been off unwell I've been in hospital and when I came back to school I was there with her and her group of friends and I just came out with in the middle of the day in secondary school I'm I'm dying for a bottle of vodka and they kind of looked at me and just my sister was like you know that's that's not normal okay and I was like why 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 is this not and it's when you see other people look at you and you're like oh but yeah so I would always be self-destruct never had an off button wanted to I didn't care if I died or lived and even when my family would have to take me to hospital and I was like you know going into a coma and all this stuff it I didn't want to stop and then it turned into taking loads of drugs as well and then I found that I couldn't drink without taking drugs because I relied on the drugs to help me drink more. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I was spoken to, a professional told me, like, you drink for different reasons. So, you know, I've, I've, it's dawned on me that I just can't have that in my life. It doesn't bring the best out in me. It makes me... I've nearly died a few times. Um, and so... But now I care because I have my family. Before I didn't give a shit. <laughs> I didn't care if I died. Um, but now I do. And now I've actually got severe anxiety about dying. <laughs> <laughs> it is crazy. I know that. I know so, that when you become a mum. So you, you said something to me before which I found really inspiring. You said that you didn't want your daughter to be a COA. It's true. And she won't be. Not from me. (laughs) (laughs) And if my husband... No, no. No, let's not go there. Let's not go there. (laughs) No, he wouldn't, though. And he's... It's a completely different kettle of fish. And that's what I love about him. He's got amazing characteristics and he is such a wonderful dad. Just like my dad was. Not in a weird way, but the good parts. Mm. Yeah. And he's got morals where he knows that's not okay. And unfortunately, with my dad, that blurred. And he went from knowing something wasn't okay to not being able to hide it or stop it. Yeah. But I know if he had the capacity, he would have. He wouldn't have done that on purpose. Um, so anyway, yeah, of course, my little girl, that was, she, she was the catalyst to me looking at my own life, like a magnifying glass on me. What are you going to do? Do you know what I mean? Mm. This, is a, this is a little life, and I've always been a believer, like, Becoming a parent is, once you're a parent, that's the most important job of your life forever. You're, you're especially I think because of my, my upbringing and my crazy weird life, I know how important it is. It's really important, you know, um, to, to show up for your children. So just kind you. of getting a time frame, you kind of started going out and drinking around 14 and then your dad died when you were 16. And then did you carry on that behaviour? Like, kind of what was your Yeah, it end continued point? until... Um, and I tried to stop. You know, I remember being 17 and I, I had three months off the booze and people couldn't believe it. <laughs> um, so I tried to... And then I'd go back because I didn't know what I know now then. Um, and 
it's just at that age as well you're like well it's normal to be this this way it's normal to be carefree and go out and get pissed all the time um so yeah no I carried on that behavior up until right before my right before my pregnancy basically so your daughter essentially saved your life that's what my husband says to me all the time and what's her name faith and he chose that one because he said it's like you know it's meant to be we didn't plan her but she was a wonderful surprise and I remember when I found out I I had I had been to parties and occasions I had been drinking I had taken drugs and I just I went (laughs) I went to the beach and I walked into the sea and I just cried my eyes out (laughs) my friend came up and she's like you okay I was like no (laughs) no I'm not um and I told her I told her I was pregnant and she was like babe what'd you do all that for I was like I don't know and um but no and so she was like well are you you're not going to keep it are you and I was like no I am actually I can't that's the life Mm. and it's important and something like literally switched inside my body and there's one thing that my dad a parting gift that he did instill in me is that your family is so important Mm. like so fucking important so as soon as I knew that she was a thing inside my belly, <laughs> that's it. I don't know. And obviously pregnancy was almost like a forced rehab. Mm. I was never going to be that person. Imagine mm. if I had my daughter and I know that this its not. This was my terror, was that I would give birth to her and there'd be something wrong with her because of my habits. Oh, So I imagine if I, I had pregnant. a drink. Yeah. Even on my Hindu, one of my friends poured me a very small glass of red wine with dinner. And I just, I was like, I can't, I can't do it. Because I knew that if I had a sip, mm. I didn't want to stop. And I also know that I have the ability to hide it. So like, I would put wine in like tea mugs and stuff at barbecues and pretend that I wasn't drinking when I was. And if it was somebody else's alcohol, I would take their alcohol and just sneak it and not ask or tell anyone that I was doing it. Oh, I was an excellent minesweeper back in the day. I would like, and then obviously with, yeah. Yeah, you know. Like <laughs> I was like, what did she just say? Yeah, yeah, anything, anything. Everyone's like, what's your favourite drink of choice? What's your drink of choice? <laughs> and I was just like, anything with alcohol in it, but as long as it was a high percentage. I remember my friend came to a barbecue and she bought like a 9% bottle of wine or whatever. And I literally sent her away. I was like, go to the shop and don't come back until it's at least 12%. What are you doing? And that was who I was. And that's what I was known for. Like people used to call me party girl. And that's where the humor covered it up. That actually, when they go home, I'm not going to sleep. Yeah. I will finish everything in the house. And I couldn't have things in the house for like special. I think we got bought a really special posh bottle of wine as a gift. And it it was, you couldn't, it wouldn't last in the house. I really, really recognise that behaviour. So I haven't drunk now for coming up for three years. So I'd got to a point. Thank you. Um, so I'd got to a point where I was increasingly uncomfortable with my relationship with alcohol. So, but I'd put in a lot of strategies to prove I wasn't like my dad. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't drink red wine. See, it's really weird you say what, that. My dad drank red wine, and I drank it because he drank it. No, so see, it's really I drank, weird that I, I wanted wouldn't to be drink like it because he did. Yeah. Um, and my, I'd kind of got to a place where 
if I opened a bottle of wine, <coughs> I would not be able to not finish it. So I could never just put it in the fridge. And it would... And if I did, if it was in the it's fridge, like I'd know it's like when someone opens there. a packet of biscuits and doesn't finish it. They're yeah. psychos. Yeah. Like I, re- I remember my <laughs> husband being away and I'd opened a bottle of wine and I'd had a glass and then I'd had another glass and I was well on. And then I remember going to the kitchen and pouring the rest of this bottle and I knew I didn't need it or want it. And I kind of caught sight of myself in the mirror. I was like, what are you doing? This is how it starts. So I had that in my head that I was definitely uncomfortable with where I'd got to. And we went on a holiday and there was one day where I realised I had not drunk anything that didn't contain alcohol on this day. I'd kind of got up, had my breakfast, not had a glass of water. And then about 11 o'clock we'd had our first drink. And I was getting very concerned for myself, but justifying it that that's, you know, kind of wine o'clock and the mummy thing. So I had made the decision to have a break and then my dad died two weeks later. That's crazy. Yes, it's slightly mad. And then I got through that without drinking because, I mean, ultimately that's why he died. Hats off to you because the first thing I did was grab a bottle of red wine when I found out my dad died. Yeah, I couldn't really do it. And then that's just made it really, it's made it a very easy conversation now to have. Not that I've ever had to justify not drinking. The The things I was worried about, giving up alcohol you know justifying it to people or not being invited out those things haven't happened but it's made it very easy in my head to say no I don't do that anymore and I'm grateful in a way that it happened when it did because I think I had the potential I wasn't in control anymore if I was drinking mm-hmm. yeah. it's an amazing thing for you to recognize and catch yourself and 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 be aware of the route that it could go down before it happens because I think it does catch a lot of people out. Yeah, but then I don't know what would have happened if my dad hadn't died two weeks in. Mm. Maybe I'd have done a month. Maybe I'd have done till the Christmas and then kind of gone, no, it's, you know, it's crit. But it has made it. Thanks, Dad. Yeah, I always <laughs> Timely. Take some, take, I always <laughs> kind of take some positives. So I've, when I, when my dad was alive, <clears throat> I, I, I do remember going through a stage of, cracking open a bottle of wine every day I got back from work and it, it didn't last very long um but I remember it lasted long enough for my husband to pick up that it was kind of like a learnt behavior um and then my dad died and the other thing's also worth mentioning and this is what my husband always used to say to me was I was a go hard or go home kind of girl. <laughs> so if I was going out and I was going to have a drink. <laughs> I was going out to get shit back. Going out, out. Yeah. Yeah. Not just out. I weren't going to have a little bit. And I went all in quick. And I'd be really, really drunk. And I'd be the funny drunk. Yeah. Um, But, oh God, the hangovers were horrendous. It felt like I was dying. But when my dad died, I almost developed this resentment towards it. Where whenever I'd have, even if I had one drink... I'd skip the nice feeling and I'd have a headache or I'd feel sick. And it was almost like my body was just rejecting it subconsciously. Like, I have so much resentment towards it. I mean, I'm not anti-alcohol. And I think a lot of people that are around me that know the work that I do, they all get really nervous around alcohol and they they look at me like, oh, do you mind if I drink? I'm like, I don't care. Like, yeah, you crack yes. on. Like, if that's, yeah. if that's what you want to do, you you go for it. Absolutely. I just look at it differently. 
and I'm not necessarily I'm not judging anybody I, I'm anti-alcohol harm mm-hmm. and I'm anti the stigma that's attached to it am I anti-alcohol do I no I'm not just like I'm not anti-sugar um <laughs> sugar's just as bad but I mean yeah my relationship with it is so I would say I'm a very mindful drinker very yeah. mind if I'm drinking it's because I want to have that specific drink not because I want to get drunk yeah and yeah. I always drank to get drunk I mean I do I did at first miss the taste of certain drinks um and that's yeah, like and like different activities like cooking with wine and stuff like that that I really enjoyed, but actually I didn't in the end because I couldn't just stop there and enjoy that moment of cooking with the wine, have a glass of dinner and that's it. And that's when I realised actually I'm not having fun anymore. It's not funny anymore. Um, and the days where we'd wake up, you know, and you'd, you'd laugh about the things that would happen the night before, there was no laughing anymore like I didn't I didn't reflect and go oh what a good night no I and was, it was increasingly anxious well. the next day yeah. increasingly anxious anxiety like I put up a black sheet against my window I wouldn't call work the amount of jobs that I've lost and I know that it affected it's affected my up until now recently you know my ability to hold down a job mm. um and I would make up loads of different excuses as to you know other health issues and not say actually I went out last night I would be in quite a responsible position like and not say like it would be like a shop and I'd have keys to the shop to open up and be the manager that day and I wouldn't open the shop and there'd be people queuing outside my phone would be caught like be ringing and blowing up and I didn't even answer it. I didn't even try to think of an excuse. I'd just literally ignore my phone mm. and I would carry on taking drugs and drinking through the anxiety. Because to me at that time, mm. that was the only thing I could do. And I remember there was another time I actually tried to go to work off my face and I got put in a stretcher in an ambulance taken out. <laughs> so well, at, least, at least you could pretend you're real that day. <laughs> See? Told, actually, I did try. I tried to come in. Yeah, actually, look at what a brilliant employee I am. Exactly. Uh, I'm here I actually tried. And I'm so ill. But that was me trying to cover up the fact that I'd lost control. That was me desperately trying to be like, no, I can't let another job go again. And it's clear if I don't turn up, they're going to know that I've done this. Because um, obviously, a lot of people in my area as well, there's a lot of people knew us and knew me for going out. So it was kind of like put two, two and two and two together and I remember there was an employee in a particular place the same place I got stretched out of um that had told my manager on the side I think Harriet's an alcoholic and I bowl in how dare she she's just jealous she wants my manager role like I was totally in denying what she was I didn't really like her but anyway (laughs) but that I was like I was easily able to like slag her off to make it seem like she was trying to dob me in for something Mm. when actually it was kind of it was kind of but I remember that with my dad it was always towards the end anything that went wrong was somebody else's fault or if he knew that he had crossed a line or he'd said something or he'd really upset me he just wouldn't get in touch for kind of a couple of weeks and then he'd barrel in like nothing had happened and he didn't turn up to a family wedding just didn't turn up 
but never made any attempt to explain why that was or what had happened because he just checked out it was easier to to just not say anything than to actually admit the reason behind exactly. it. I think that's really common, isn't it? My my dad was quite good with accountability. I mean, he do the things. Is that rare? I feel like that's different. I I don't know if he was good with accountability because he was so worried about losing us. Mm-hmm. But um, your dad was really empathetic. Like from what you've said, my dad was so, and I think that was part of his reason for drinking he was a very highly sensitive person and again that's in a section of life where actually um you know i don't know any statistics but from that time in life men aren't weren't really supported in that kind of area with emotions and mental health well there wasn't mental health no and and there certainly wasn't it makes me for a man to go and ask for help do you feel any kind of resentment or any other form of emotion with the fact that we have that now. And you know, when you look back, you think if, he, if he'd if he have had that support then, I wonder what had been different. Oh, massively. I always think that. I always yeah. think, oh, if my dad was around now. But equally, I wouldn't be the person I am today had I not gone through that with my dad. So a part of me, and somebody once asked me, because I, I openly admit I like me better now than what I liked me when my dad was alive. And somebody once said to me, oh, if you could go back and change things, would you? And of course, I, I was a bit like, well, of course I don't want my dad to die and I, I would give anything to have him back, but I do like myself better now. And it's because of that experience and because of what we went through that I feel like my dad's parting gift to me was to discover myself and to have that um, empowerment to ask for help mm. and, and get help for myself and to hang out with me and to hang out with Amy <laughs> or she makes <laughs> really inappropriate <laughs> jokes <laughs> I think I would agree with that I think I'm a yes I prefer myself now with the understanding I have and the s- stuff I do around this and I'm so proud of kind of using that experience to do the things that I'm doing but we th- would we have become complacent? So what I mean by that is if our dads were still around and hadn't died, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing now. No. And I feel like now we're do- we do what we do, we've become complacent and automatically assume that, well, everyone thinks like this. No, because I didn't don't. feel like that. And it's only been two and a half years for me. So I can very vividly remember not being in the place mm-hmm. I'm in now. Um, I think probably if I've got any thoughts about it and if I had you know if I kind of had to go through it again I do always say I wish I'd been nicer to her I wish I'd understood it more I wish I'd been kinder and I think kind of listening to you two you just both ooze that kind of empathy and compassion and a bit more understanding than perhaps I had I just thought it was such a nightmare and he was such a pain in the ass and I was really I was really angry with him and I really saw it as a choice even though I knew he wasn't like nobody chooses to end up the way that my dad did but I sort of didn't have it in me to be nice and to be kind and I didn't trust the fact that he would get better so I didn't really engage in trying to make him better and I think 
the problem with if I'd been kinder and more empathetic at the time, I would have felt more let down when he didn't stop or when things didn't change. So whilst I regret not being nicer, and, you know, even the last time I saw my dad, it was in lockdown, and I didn't give him a hug goodbye, and I kind of used the lockdown as an excuse. But actually, it was just because he looked really ill and he smelt funny. And I (laughs) had sat having this picnic outside with him where he hadn't said anything. And he had a cut on his head. And it was just all horrible. And I do, I really wish I'd had done that. And I really wish I'd given him a hug and said, you know, I love you and all of those things. And I didn't do it. And I can't do it now. And I suppose that's part of doing the things I do is to make amends in some strange way. But to be kinder to him or to have understood it more at the time would have been to have had to deal with what I had going on and I found it easier to kind of put up a barrier around it. It's almost it. like you were then have to accept that that, is, that that was the situation and that's your reality. Yeah. And behind all the jokes and the, the kind of wall, you didn't have to face dealing with it. I wasn't always kind to my dad. When no, I was alive. don't get me wrong. When you said that, I was like, I have definitely smacked my face, in the, my dad in the face. Yes, yeah, so I did. He was I. driving, and I just went <laughs> whack, and he was like, "What the?" F-? And he just went silent because I think he realised he'd stepped over the line. I did that. <laughs> I, I I took my dad turned up to a family holiday drunk, right? And I put him in the car and I took him home. I said, "You're not coming because you're going to ruin it." And I had my kids there. My sister had just found out she was pregnant. And I thought, you're not going to ruin this holiday. So I took him home and I felt awful. I called him, um, I dropped the C-bomb on my dad. Called him a C next Tuesday. (laughs) I called him selfish. I told him I hated him. I told, and that, when I, when I said all of that, it was literally the week before he died. But that's so interesting, isn't it? And that's probably a whole other podcast about how I've sat here for the last hour thinking, oh, I wasn't as nice to my dad as these guys were because I think we're always comparing what you should have done. And there's probably things I say where people think, I wish I'd done that or I wish I'd behaved like, or I wish I'd understood that. And actually there's no right or wrong when you're in that situation. And, you know, again, that's part of the six C's that we're all, when we, all three of us have done our speaker training with Nakoa and we've done a lot of work with them. But that's the thing, isn't it? You can communicate your feelings. Yeah. And my feelings on any given day can still be very different. And I had to make choices to protect myself when I was in it, the same as you guys did. And those choices would have been different. Mm. Yeah. I I think, do you know what? I think nobody talks about it. It's different now. We're all talking about it. But when our dads were alive, nobody was talking about being affected by a loved one's drinking Well, it was a sign of weakness, wasn't it? Because everybody else could stop. There was no understanding around the fact that some people become ill from it. Mm. It was a case of, well, everybody else knows when to stop. You haven't. You've crossed a line and you're kind of cut off at that point. Yeah, there was, there's almost like you're, you're encouraged to drink as a society where it's normalized it's almost like we're celebrating have a drink do this do that it's everywhere for every yeah. occasion when you're stressed when you yeah. just finish work um like when <laughs> but when you go too far you're massively stigmatized for it i was yeah. so angry after my dad died with an email i received from somebody who had 
years ago kind of been part of his very boozy social circle and I got this email that sort of said you know I was sorry to hear the news and then it just said the last few years of your dad's life must have been really lonely what do you even what do you even say to that one you've got no idea because you haven't kept in touch with him so how would you even know that and you're putting a judgment on the fact that's really like rubbing salt in the wound as well absolutely it's like you were (laughs) I'm gonna say part of the problem that's a that's a really unfair but you were kind of part of that culture and then as soon as he tipped over to the other side and granted he lost touch with people as much as they lost touch with him but that's really why would you say that to somebody who's just lost their parents why would you not just say i'm really sorry i used to get messages from women being like your dad was the first love of my life um yeah and they'd sort of i'd have tons and tons and i was a teenager i don't want to know why are you messaging his daughter being like your dad was the first love of my life and all this stuff and it's like go away my yeah. dad died. Yeah. Leave me alone. I don't care if you loved him or snogged him or whatever you did. <laughs> la, 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 la. <laughs> yeah, like literally, go away. You're, this is really inappropriate. I don't need to know. Well, I didn't have really anything like that, and which upset me because I was like, I just want somebody to tell me all this lovely stuff about my dad and to remember him nicely, not to forget about him because it's awkward for people to talk about him. And to that's talk what about I him. get upset by even in the present day because sometimes I get kind of an overwhelmed wave of comments of of bad things that happened and I'm like no whoa 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 like you're forgetting who he was because that wasn't him yeah and then it pisses me off because I'm like just have some respect darn (laughs) respect (laughs) it's true one of my cousins after one after something I I think after I'd spoken to Dave on his podcast and I just said it feels like I'm sort of sometimes the only person who remembers what he actually was rather than just that one label and my cousin did send me a message afterwards and he's like I just remember your dad really fondly and he was a real laugh and I always and that's what you want to hear yeah Yeah. I've had a message from a a family member like that and I was and I showed my husband and I was like look at this message like that is why can't but again like you say with the empathy I, I then reflect and be like okay well that's they can't seem to remember the things like that because it's they've got something that they're dealing with as well. Do you know what I mean? So I always have the ability to flip it round to okay, well that person's not being great, great about it because they're they're still healing and they yeah. had different experiences too. Yeah, and, that, so and that's okay. That's, it yeah. is okay, but I guess at the same time it's it's then still not validating the fact that I f- I feel upset by that and that it's it's an okay to also feel upset by that yeah I've got an uncle who um just speaks so fondly of my dad and even when even when he died and I weren't introduced to this whole community of an understanding of alcohol addiction he would say to me you know Sarah your dad was really ill it weren't his fault yeah and he would say your dad was amazing he was and he like he always says that to me and I don't think he realises how much of a great impact that has had on me for him to talk about him like that um, and to openly say, oh, I should have, he, he openly say, oh, I should have called him and I should have done this and I should have done that. Um, and it's that acknowledgement 
and to say kind things about him, which mm. I really appreciate. And it makes it, I don't know, it just made it feel a bit more, to have somebody remembering him fondly and not for his, like, funny little ways. Yeah. It's just yeah. nice. I think, um, for me as well, I feel quite, I feel quite lucky in the fact that um, before he died, I obviously didn't ever t- talk to anyone about it. I never would ever want to shame my dad. But he also, he used to do like acting on the side. And um, he was in a a BBC, is it Panorama or Horizon? I think it was Horizon documentary called Do I Drink Too Much? And I hadn't seen it. Oh. Hadn't seen it until... Recently, wasn't until, it? Until, yeah. And... and um, well, actually, there was there was a Christmas, one Christmas, he was on something else. Do you remember the programme Brainiac? I don't yes. know if you remember that, right? And he did, he did um, act in like a little, what do they call it? Like a part Sketch. role. Yeah. yeah, like in it. And it was Christmas Day and up pops dad on the telly and we were all like, oh, <laughs> hi <great>. dad. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Christmas. Um, and it's just, it's funny, but that's what who he was. He liked all the light show, show time. Um, but yeah, and so he he had an opportunity to talk about his own drinking on that um, BBC documentary. So I it was almost like a permission, like, you can talk about this, because I did. So yeah. I don't have to, I don't have that worry, like, oh, I hope he's not upset with me for talking about it. Because he knew, <laughs> yeah, I know that you do, and that's what I mean. I feel lucky because I don't have to second guess that. Because he did, he said it himself. Um, but I do wish that I could understand. I wish I could have a conversation with him now because I think I'd understand a lot. We could have had a, such an interesting conversation together. But um, and I guess that's another reason that spurs me on to wanting to help other people. Yeah. Mm. And um, so recently, I've done my mental health awareness course. Um, and I'm, and my um, coaching course, so I can try to help other people with Koa. What we all do with Nakoa, we're all very much so, and I am very passionate as well about supporting the children of alcoholics. But this is a way that I felt like I could not only help them, but also help maybe the parents. Yeah, because they don't real not not everyone realizes. Mm. Um, and also a lot of a lot of um, coers, like some people have more than one generation that drank. So for me, I've recently as well found out that it's not just my dad that had issues with drinking. And I was really honest with my nan and granddad, and I was like, I don't, I'm not drinking anymore. And at first, with my granddad's humour, he was like, Oh, you're boring. And then he went, No, well done, that's actually really good. <laughs> and he was, and then they came out with all these stories about how granddad, my granddad, didn't always have a handle on his drinking either, and he had to stop, and he gambled as well and stuff like this. Oh, wow, and then I found okay. out another member of the on the my other side of my family, um, also was somebody who, when she started, she couldn't stop. And I'm like, that is, yeah. that's something that's really powerful to know that actually, you know, it, it obviously it brings up questions mm. of like genetics and, um, but yeah, there's this passed down kind of trauma thing and it's learned behavior as well. Yeah. So in being able to help other adults coach other adults through becoming sober themselves or at least figuring out their relationship with alcohol, um, I feel like that is a really powerful way to help break the cycle. So not only can I affect 
that person's life, whether they're a parent or not yet, it will help them, it will help to affect their child's life and then their child's life. And that's so tell us about your sober journal. Yeah, so I created a sobriety journal (laughs) um, for Nakoa UK. Um, The idea being around that um, every every journal sold, a percentage goes to Nakoa UK to obviously help support, raise funds for the children um, and to keep Nakoa running. Um, And it's more of a, it can be helpful for people that are sober curious. So it's not just for people that want complete sobriety. It can help you if you're questioning your relationship with alcohol or if you feel like yourself when you knew you felt uncomfortable. So there's um, daily like affirmations, motivational quotes from some of our favourite people, including... Sarah Drage. Mrs. Sarah Drage. Um, I mean, I don't want to brag, but I've got 90 followers on Instagram. <laughs> so, you know, if you do need... If I, yeah, of course. We've of done course. A, we've done a kind campaign. Of a big deal. It's, it's hashtag follow Amy. <laughs> I'm gonna get on that um and what I like about the journal that I I made there's um sort of self-development um parts exercises and things that are really going to get the the consumer thinking about themselves and progress in their own development not just with alcohol but with their own mindset their self-esteem and how they want to shape their future so um, there's probably loads more that I could say right now. So but. Cool. It's amazing. <laughs> cool it is amazing. And you actively talk on behalf of Nakoa. You do a lot of podcasts like this, <laughs> a lot of lives. You're out in the community. You're raising awareness, sharing both perspectives. You're really inspirational. And Thank you. And you've got a lot of love. And we love you. You've got a lot of love. Girl, I love, yeah. love <laughs> I remember speaking to Andy Ramage and he asked me to go on a live with him and he was like, so really, you're doing this because love is the answer and I was like yeah it's from love like literally loving my daughter enough yeah loving myself enough um and the other thing as well with the journal is at the back there is actually a page with loads of useful resources so that if you do feel that you need to keep going and progress or need another avenue such as warrior kind uk that can help with mental Name health drop. as well. Yeah, because I think it's all co- it all connects yeah. together. It's, yeah, it does. For me, mental health is massively a part of it, my life and journey and still is. So I'm really passionate about that as well. So, yeah. Oh, <laughs> honestly, Harriet, you've been amazing. Thank I you I feel so like I much. could talk to you girls forever. Oh, we could. And we, we could. Like, we and we have done. Yeah, oh. and we probably will do. And when we go to the Houses of Parliament again. Uh, <laughs> Just like I broke down. I broke down <laughs> when um, when Jonathan Ashworth was talking about his own story. Oh my it God. set me off, but I thought I was never going to stop. And I remembered Sober Dave just tapped me and gave me a clean tissue. Yeah. I took the only tissue that was there was his tissue that he'd wiped his forehead with, <laughs> and I grabbed it like, and my my shoulders oh. were going, and I was bouncing, and oh. I was trying not to look, and I thought. Jesus Christ, I'm in the Houses of Parliament, you're crying your eyes out, stop it, stop it! And I just, I just, yeah, that moment was really, like, oh, the whole thing really was amazing. amazing. And it was were, amazing, yeah. yeah. And yeah. they were sort of saying really they received, received 30,000 calls a year to their helpline yeah. and receive really limited funding. Um, you know, essentially it's all run on private donations and fundraising. Mm. Um, but the things I... Th- the research they've done this year, which they've done for the week, was that 46% of children never speak to anybody outside of their family about their parents' addiction. 
And out of that 46%, 25% never speak to anybody at all. Which is why things like what we're doing. Exactly. Like, it's yeah. so it's important. helping to see that actually it is a thing that you can talk about mm-hmm. and you can't, you don't have to brush it under the carpet and you're not being dramatic. And you're not alone. <laughs> you're not alone. But also, it, you know, we're okay. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it's really right. important. It's going to be all right. I mean, ish. It turned out. Well, that's <laughs> yeah, the we whole but reason that's it, isn't it? behind everything that I do. I want to show other people that you can really live your life. Like, you have a life to live. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it can be great and you can actually enjoy it. And you triumph. It's what is it? Triumphing over the adversity. Yeah. It, it can be done. Do you know what? Well I, me and my sister won an award for adversity once. Did like you? achieving achievement in the face of adversity. And at the time, it's because we managed to get GCSE sorted out because but around dad dying. And I just I felt like I wanted to chuck it to the side. Like I've got an I've got an award because my dad died. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like great, you did really well. Great, thanks. That's actually a part another key part of uh COAs that I like to talk about as well, because a lot of people think that children that are acting up or obviously um not too stable are the only ones that have issues when actually mm-hmm. even the very studious they want to get everything right and and make their parents proud they're they're also ones that go under the radar because they're not going to yeah. talk about it that was me yeah and I, me. Was, I wanted to be sensible sarah Mm. didn't want to act out oh I didn't was just naughty I I <laughs> feel like we wouldn't have been yeah. friends at <laughs> no I mean one I was at least I think I was probably doing my a levels when you were born but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um and if anybody did want to I'm gonna plug myself oh, no, yeah, yeah, go go if it. anybody it. did want to um have a chat about their own s- journey with alcohol their relationship with alcohol um or purchase a journal you can find the link on my instagram 50 shades sober um or type in the sobriety journal by harriet strange on amazon um but just give me a message if you've got any questions and a proportion of the profits go to Nakoa, don't they? Absolutely, a very large proportion. I'm just paying for them to get made, basically. Well done. <laughs> no, well, oh, Harriet, Harriet thank, thank you. you. You've been amazing. Oh, no, it's been a pleasure. Even though sometimes it gets emotional, it's quite... Um, it's yeah. good. We're good. validating these emotions and we're showing that these emotions are okay. So, yeah. And it is, because we're all great. We are. <laughs> <laughs> we're the three best friends <laughs> anyone's ever had. <laughs> You've been listening to Sarah and Amy, the Children of Alcoholics podcast. If any of the things we've been talking about resonates with you and you want further help, please contact NACOA at www.nacoa.org.uk. There you will find a wealth of information, support and advice. And remember, you are not alone. You've been listening to Sarah and Amy, the Children of Alcoholics podcast. If any of the things we've been talking about resonates with you and you want further help, please contact NACOA at www.nacoa.org.uk. There you will find a wealth of information, support and advice. And remember, you are not alone.